when you're in the garden, and particularly with tomatoes, um, you're staking them and you're pruning them, and the leaves have this very green, oily, beautiful scent. And there's this whole journey of scent that goes from the plant to the fruit itself. And you are left with the smell on your hands, um, and almost floral and kind of beautiful, and earthy, and, and, earthy uh, and bitter, and you know all all the complexity that goes into all of that. And that we wanted to sort of tell that story through a fragrance, but not literally. Welcome back to Scent World, a show that explores the power of expressing yourself through scent. Today, we're featuring Matthew Mallon and Andrew Getz, the co-founders of Mallon & Getz, based in New York City. What does a simple skincare routine look like? At a time when skincare was becoming more and more complicated, Matthew and Andrew went a different direction. Less, but better. They started Mallon & Getz in 2004 with just six essential products that worked for all skin types, tones, and genders. Today, fragrance is the brand's fastest-growing category, with two collections that create a sense of balance, the unflorals and the vices. In this episode, Matthew and Andrew sit down with Brittany Jackson Mosley, who runs integrated marketing at Scentbird. They talk about the bridge between perfumery and apothecary, take us back to their first Chelsea store, and reveal how they've put a new twist on scents like tomato, rum, and cannabis. Uncomplicate skincare and life with Matthew Mallon and Andrew Getz on Scent World. It's safe to say that you are trailblazers um, from the moment you started your apothecaries in 2004. And I really want to dive into the past, present, and future of the brand. But first, I wanted to start by asking you where you see the brand today um, and where do you think the brand is going? So um, I think the brand, the success of the brand has been its consistency that we've never really wavered from whom we are and what we do. Um, so scaling has happened not exponentially. It's happened at a very organic pace. And I think that's what's kept the DNA so um, so solid. So where we are today is we're just a bigger version of where we were when we started. Mm. And where we will be tomorrow will hopefully be just a much bigger version of where we were, where we are today. <laughs> Does that You're make keeping, sense? Keeping it real since 2004. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think that's really important to, to to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, the the brand is um, it's still a small brand today in my mind. Maybe maybe that it's, it's a little bit bigger be. than you think. I mean, compared to where we started when when we started, it literally was Malin and Getz. Matthew sat at one end of the table, and I sat at the other, and our office was in. The, behind the store, and every time a customer would come in, which was not always so often at that point, someone would get up from the desk and wait on them. So we did everything. We packed boxes for Barneys, we waited on customers, we cleaned the store. Um, it was very, very hands-on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but where it is today is exactly where I think we always intended and hoped that it would be, and that is mm -hmm for it to feel and be a gender-neutral brand that's New York-centric or urban-centric and focused on making skincare easy for people. I love that. I love that. So you you hinted on this a little bit, but could you take me back to that first moment when you both decided to start the brand? Bring us back in a time machine. I had been with Kiehl's back in the mid to late 90s. And Kills was sold to L'Oreal. And Andrew, whose uh, family is very entrepreneurial, had said, you know, Kills was sold to L'Oreal. And I had been a buyer for Barney's prior to that, which is how I ended up working for Kills. 
where we were buying brands that didn't exist in the marketplace. So mm. we launched Stila and NARS and Philosophy and Kiehl's and L'Occitane and all these brands that are sort well of like, known, yeah. yeah, exactly. And all of them, well, most of them had been sold off to big corporations at a certain point. And we were watching that happen. And so Andrew had said, there's this moment in time now where we could sort of pick up where, let's say, for instance, Akil's is left off and be family owned and operated and do something that's not Kiehl's, but very modern and forward thinking. Yeah, I think that was simplistic. super important that yeah. we weren't trying to recreate something or imitate something. We were looking maybe at the same apothecary roots, but from a completely different lens. Like how could we be modern and minimalist and completely efficacious yes. and and a reflection of how we actually lived our lives. Yeah, and if you think about brands, if you can think about brands 20 years ago, they were really overpackaged and very complicated with Absolutely. hundreds of products. Steps. And mini steps. Yes, exactly. So the regimens were difficult to sort of wrap your head around. And what if you could take sort of Andrew's less is more Neutrogena approach and say, well, we're just going to make luxury really accessible and easy and uncomplicate the whole process for anyone. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or what your skin type is. In fact, if you're a couple, wouldn't it be great if you could use and share those products? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I can attest to that as a longtime customer, like from the dark rum candle to the eucalyptus deodorant. My husband and I are constantly, I'm like, where is my deodorant? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I thought this was mine because That's it's awesome. so inclusive and it's something that we can share. It's one of the few items that in our bathroom, in our vanity areas, we're able to share. So yeah. if you're a really good customer, you say steal. Steal. <laughs> From from oh, yes. from your from your partner. <laughs> well, I do have a mini eucalyptus deodorant that I keep for my purse, and he's constantly stealing it. Yes. Let me just put that on record. <laughs> um, and I'm like, where is my purse deodorant? Those I want are to bring our most lo loyal customers, the ones who. Uh, <laughs> it's it's great. It's great to hear those stories twenty years later, <clears throat> because twenty years ago. It was a very difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around. Oh yes, and really. Most brands were segregating regimens for a man or a woman, and then specifically for a variety of skin types and how people sort of went through their routine through the day. And we just tried to democratize the whole idea yeah. and make it really simple. But, I hate to keep saying the same word over it, and over again. But it again. wasn't simple but because people um, have a very linear, have a very uh, confined way of thinking. So I remember when we were pitching the brand to Barney's, um, who's gonna be our big national retailer. And they'll say, well, do you wanna be in the women's department or the men's department? And we're mm -hmm. like, well, we need to be sort of in both because we sell to both. And it was very, very difficult for them to get behind that concept. Obviously they did, and it Eventually, was very, very right. I, we launched with Barney, so they did buy into it, but mm -hmm. it was a lot of, I think that was the only time we really were great salesmen is when we convinced Barney's that they had oh, to be. There, uh, are there are many stores. I mean, we would have perfumeries approach us about our fragrances at some point. And we were like, well, we really want to present ourselves as a complete brand, right? you know, so that people are able to shop across categories and enter the brand in a way that they're comfortable, but be able to find their items head to toe that are appropriate for whatever their regimen happens to be, whatever theirs and their, their partner's regimens might be even. so Yeah, the brand is really for everyone. And I think the approachability is really what brings people in. Correct. Like you can understand everything that's on the package. It's very clear. You're making something that probably has a complex formulation, very simple. But transparent. Thank you. And, and yeah. the packaging was intended to be very not transparent that you see through it, but to have all the ingredients, everything yes. listed on the front, that we weren't trying to hide anything. It was just very clinical and efficient. Yeah, yeah. so when you talk Efficacious. about- yeah, yes. And when you talk about clean today, you know, we'd never felt the uh, the idea that we had to jump on the bandwagon to say we were clean because mm -hmm. we were always showing what our ingredients were. And we were always talking about how this formula was appropriate for sensitive skin because I started from that perspective. So saying having to say that we're clean when we're all, we've always been that way right. didn't really seem necessary it isn't um you, you <laughs> didn't have to and now there's a little bit of backlash where customers i know it's more more common in the eu there's like a pretty big definition of clean right. but for us customers we're starting to go 
what does clean actually mean here, right? If there's no regulation. The customer is yeah. ultimately very, very smart mm -hmm. and clever. And they figure out all the marketing yes. hooplas that go on. And I think if you actually speak to your customer in a very honest, authentic way, then you don't have to worry about that backlash. And the yeah. forerunner that's what we've clean, tried to do. The forerunner to clean was natural. So it was like mm -hmm. this whole thing. Like there was no real definition of what it meant to be natural. And yeah, we've always used natural ingredients, but they're not the only thing that make up our formula. In fact, our focus has been less on being natural or being clean, but being more on being efficacious, using the right ingredients for the right product and making sure that it doesn't irritate Right, you. and the right formulations. As I always say, poison ivy is natural as well. <laughs> Um, cyanide isn't natural. <laughs> so natural isn't always necessarily better. It's mm -hmm. about how you use nature um, fused with the, the ingenuity mm -hmm. of science. And, and I think that's what we really have worked so hard to do. Science yes. and nature. And that's really that apothecary feel that's really present in each of your, your locations. Thank you. I love going into the stores because uh, even when I travel, it like feels like, okay, this is a safe place to land. This is home. I know what it's going to be. I can get my travel items um, and, you know, use them up while I'm on this vacation and bring them back home. And I know what to expect. Oh, so great. I absolutely, I'm a huge fan of your brand. I'm oh, not thanks. just saying well, that. It sounds like it. You're, you're <laughs> delivering for us. We don't even need to say anymore. <laughs> well, it's better to hear from you, <laughs> from the creator. So Talking a little bit more about your founding story, I, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but if we can talk about those early days in Chelsea, where it's just Mal and Jess gets in the store, could you tell me about a moment where you really realize like, oh, this is our brand, like we, we've arrived? Yeah, you know, we, we, so we put together this whole concept for the brand and part of the launch of the brand was um, our own freestanding store, our own e-com website 20 years ago, and then distribution at Barney's nationally, which included New York and Beverly Hills. And then we also launched Liberty in London all at mm -hmm. the same time. So same day, same time with 12 SKUs. Wow. So we had face, body, and hair. And I remember we opened our doors and we're packing boxes up in the back for maybe Barney's or something. And a customer walks in and, you know, back then, you know, we'd get like a customer in an hour or something walking into the store. And so, you know, it was like a big deal. And you'd go up to the front and they'd say, okay, tell me, what is this? What What is this brand? And you'd say, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're about making skincare easy and uncomplicated. Oh, that's great. How do you do that? <laughs> and so then you start to explain it. And they'd be like, but how does that work for me? And, you know, and, and all of a sudden, like, it, was, it became like a, a teaching moment where like, okay, how are we going to really get over this hump where... Mm -hmm. You know, we have to explain to somebody that this facial cleanser is really great. And, you know, sampling and I mean, as, as Scentbird probably knows better than anybody, like it's it's a key. But certainly like uh, finessing your your spiel is is an important but aspect. But the momentum of, did yeah. build very, oh, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the first day was like nerve wracking and everything. But then uh, having Barney's uh, be our national retailer and Liberty in London and having our fledgling website, um, we just had so much energy going in and out of that store. I mean, our dogs were there, so you know, we were, they were always sitting there in the Little windows, keys. so people came in, and um, I think people just loved coming into the store, even just to chat half the time. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea, two, 20 years ago, you know, it was, it was such a great sort of crossroads of individual like the the neighborhood was young and it was yeah. full of energy and creative spirit and it was right that crossroads between like Greenwich Village and um you know uptown and sort of it was it was just like a very interesting group of affluent young people who were looking for something new and what was happening so everyone was kind of open to the idea you know even if they didn't get it at first yeah they were ready for something new and something approachable that they can understand and i know um we talked about this a little bit but i think the the steps in the process right so did you have customers coming in trying to uh <laughs> buy a specific regimen and maybe yes. expecting 20 steps and, <laughs> yeah. and getting uh, it, having well, an our joke moment. in the store was always like we want to sell you less product <laughs> and <laughs> the, um, hur the hurdle so was, rare <laughs> the hurdle that i was speaking about you know somebody would come in and i'd give them the spiel and the, how is it right for me i mean we didn't have a toner 
Mm. We still don't have a toner. And in fact, we never saw a toner as necessary. And in fact, when you have to explain this to somebody, well, why don't you have a toner? Well, toners are there to remove excess dirt, oil, and cleansers that's been left behind. But if your cleanser removes the dirt and the oil and it washes clean, why would you need an extra step to just create more irritation onto your skin? So, wow. Yeah. Because most people actually don't really know what a toner is. I, I don't know what it. I don't. It's it's I a great one, it's a great marketing <laughs> um, campaign, but you know most toners are actually have uh, alcohol in it, which is very drying. They tend to have fragrance, which can be irritating, and so they can be very stripping and um, unbalancing. And if, as Matthew said, if you have a great cleanser that washes away clean, doesn't leave a residue, isn't irritating in any way, and then you hydrate immediately after. Why do you need to have an, another unnecessary step other but, than to sell somebody an unnecessary an product? product? There's a real honesty in your approach to the brand. I think mm. that customers may not have expected, right? It's correct. You know, they're you're saying you don't need all of these products. You can use less. You can do more with less, which I think is another like really great part of the brand. Like you know what you're getting, and you know that it's going to work, and it's it's so awesome. Oh, thank well, you. thanks. Um, so let's segue a little bit into talking about scent, right? Your brand, of course, started as uh, an all-over beauty brand, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about fragrance later, but first I wanted to see if we can get some insights from both of you on what were your earliest scent memories? Like when did you, when did you first discover fragrance? So I mean, I probably remember the first perfume or cologne. I don't know what it was. I thought it was probably Paco Rabanne in like 1977 <laughs> or something. And I thought it was really cool. Um, but I don't know if that's my first memory of scent. So my first memory of scent is it really comes from cooking. Ooh. I mean, like I, food is, is scent for me in a weird way. I mean, it's not what you want to wear necessarily. But those are the things that evoke... Um, that's my Proustian experience of emotion. And yeah. then as I got older and you have other sense enter into your life, um, it becomes much more of a sophisticated uh, and nuanced experience. But I would say food is one of my first uh, memories of scent. What yeah. kind of food, actually? My grandmother's roasted chicken. <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, that's... maybe we need to make a roasted chicken candle. Um, no, Absolutely. I don't think we should. We need... have. We're almost there with tomato. Um, okay. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, we don't need to do that. I mean, there's certain things that you just they live in separate categories. But um... Andrew, one of the th so Andrew's great cook, by the way, and one of his specialties is roast chicken. My grandmother's roasted chicken. Are you um, going to share the recipe? <laughs> I can. Of course, it's very simple, like everything Malinan gets. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Um, and places also have a scent for me. Mm -hmm. um, and experiences have a scent. Like there, scent is always associated with with memory. Absolutely. For for me, so depending about that experience, there is a scent associated with it, which I hope to some degree that we have conveyed in the scents that we actually, and parfums that we manufacture. Yeah, absolutely. Scent and memory are so, so linked. And that's why it's so interesting to figure out where to hear from people what their early scent memories are. So yours was cooking, right? Mm -hmm. Your grandmother's roast chicken and this beautiful fragrant, uh, I'm imagining a display. I'm actually getting really hungry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Matthew, how about for you? What What are some of your earliest scent memories? Uh, so there's two. and the the first, uh, I'll start with the second one. Um, the second one, which is earliest probably, is when I was very young, my mother and father would leave me with my grandmother. Um, she would watch me during the day. Or and a roast however. chicken? No, no, no. <laughs> um, and my, my, so I had a Hungarian grandmother, and she lived in a very small little house um, in Flint, Michigan, um, That's where a, I was born. Oh, oh mm -hmm. uh, me too. St. Joseph's <laughs> Hospital, Flint, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Flint Osteopathic wow. Hospital. Wow. Well, I knew I liked we'll it for it. some I reason. Know, obviously, <laughs> Midwest in the house. <laughs> so, so my my grandmother had a really small little um, property, and as um, as a as a farmer growing up in in Hungary, um, she grew all her own vegetables and and flowers and what have you. So her entire backyard, which was 
maybe a quarter of an acre was a garden. And I just remember being really young and walking through like the little paths through the garden and, you know, the flowers and she uh, snapdragons and four o'clocks and various, you know, flowers. I remember that distinctly and the smells and sort of just the moments of being there. Um, Wow. That would be the, that'd be the second one. The first one though is probably sitting with my mother when she would get ready in the morning and she'd put on makeup and she'd sit at her vanity with a little mirror in front of her and just the smell of the makeup, which always had like, mm. you know, that sort of rose scent or whatever it is that was in makeup 20 years ago. And oil of Olay, she used that to, yeah. to moisturize her face. <laughs> so whatever those scents were, those sort of really subtle, floral, rosy kinds of scents, I remember that distinctly. And both of these are sort of in these beautiful, warm, hazy clouds. Yeah, and you both are talking about family members. Um, you both have stories with your grandmother. Yeah. So there's like a nurturing and uh, there's like a piece of love, right? With, with Absolutely. And... I mean, that's the best part of memory is to have a good one, right? Yes. <laughs> Not the bad ones. <laughs> bad ones. What are those? Um, so I know you, you talked a little bit about Paco Rabanne, but I wanted to know if you had any fragrances that you wore early on or if you could take us through your journey in personal <laughs> fragrance. This is scary. <laughs> um, well, I've already uh, fessed up to my Paco Rabanne journey. Um, I'm sure there were other uh, things along the way. I the think Comme the... de Garcon, you know, maybe as I got more sophisticated. But I, be, I actually became sort of, I was very sensitive to scent and I tended <clears throat> to, um, not wear a scent in general. And then having spent time in Europe where everyone wears so much scent, yes. that almost put me more firmly in the camp of like not necessarily wearing a scent unless I it was a special occasion. But I think that's a very cultural thing. Um, yes. You know, Europeans, it's like putting on your T-shirt, you put on a scent. In America, it tends to be a little bit different. More of an accessory. It's an accessory, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, as a young boy from Michigan, I distinctly remember forcing my parents to buy me Dracar Noir. Noir. Mm -hmm. And I'm not proud of that. I've smelled a lot of that in my life. Well, we won't hold it it against you. It was a mistake of youth. But but, but, but it, it was probably the start of really wanting to buy those kinds of things. For sure. Yeah, that first taste of fragrance. For me, there's like a lot of bath and body works in my scent journey. Sure. So I know the brand began as an apothecary for skincare um, and body care as well, but could you tell me a little bit about how you started the fragrance side of your business? The genesis was the first year of business at Mallon and Gatz, and we had only launched with skincare, body care, and hair care. Mm-hmm. We were asked to speak at a Women's Wear Daily conference, and we went down there, and we gave to our Miami. spiel. Yeah. And Michelle Mann of Mann Fragrances mm-hmm. was, for whatever reason, impressed with what he heard. He was and, in the audience. He and came he said, up to us afterwards. And he said, you guys need to do a fragrance. And we looked at him, and we said, but we're not a fragrance house. He's like, I want you to come into my office and let's see if we can create a fragrance around the philosophy of your brand. Yeah, no, what, what he said was, I understand your skincare-focused business. Come pitch your concept to my perfumers and let them help you create a fragrance based on your concept. Oh, wow. And we were like, that's a challenge. And we were like, okay, cool. And that's what we did. But in a weird way, it was very complimentary because we didn't use any artificial fragrance in our skincare. And yet we knew an olfactory experience was really, really important. And in some, re- in many cases, the reason we didn't include a fragrance in our skincare is because we didn't want our skincare to be a human diffuser. But right. was there an opportunity to talk about our... Uh, minimalism and simplicity of the brand via an olfactory experience and that whole idea of balance of yin and yang. And um, so it was a great... Um, it was the start of a really beautiful relationship. In fact, we, uh, we've we been friendly with Michelle Mann and the team there since day, you know, almost since day one. And um, in fact, we just had lunch with Michelle this past year 
um, and we do usually on a yearly basis. So. And it and it and it opened up a whole new um, unintended concept for us, and something that, um, in spite of my earlier um, declining of that, I don't like fragrance. It, it was epiphanic, like, oh, wow, this is great. And we really enjoyed it. And it really unleashed a, a lot of creative spirit uh, amongst the two of us in a way that we, it was totally unexpected. That's yes. awesome. And it helped us reinterpret our brand's position as a skincare business, which really was focused on not being irritating to the skin or having any sort of artificial fragrance that could irritate the skin. And so it allowed us to create a separate category of candles and fragrances that could be integrated into a regimen yeah. without you having to feel like we were perfuming your face. Exactly. You separate, you took the fragrance uh, concept as something that's kind of separate from your original origin, but it still was a way to expand your brand, right? Correct. And um speak to the minimalism and the aesthetic in a different way. Yes. Because I know I keep my candle after I burn it, I clean it out, put some flowers in there. <laughs> That's what Excellent. we like to hear. Yes. You know? Recycle, reuse. Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was definitely born in the 80s. Yes. I hear that the fragrance and candle categories are growing pretty fast for you. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. I would say um, fragrance is now our single fastest growing category. Um, it's also our smallest category, just mm. to put that in perspective, but fastest growing. So certainly there's a lot of interest in what we're doing and um, and yeah, people are buying. So yeah. That's good. I think the same approach you took to skincare and you know, the complicated nature of, okay, how many steps I need a toner, I need a serum, all of this stuff and condensing it into something that's efficacious and that works really translated into your fragrances because for instance, one of my favorites, dark rum, or you see like a tomato or something, you're like, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's very straightforward. It's straightforward. There's but no I know there's... Um, uh, baroqueness into the naming of our fragrances. It's yes. very uh, linear. But you still, you know, I think of the word like simplexity, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of thought that's put into it. And you're obviously not putting tomato juice into the candle, right. but there's kind of a, um, you know, the essence of that, that single note ingredient that you're, you're talking about in the fragrances. So I was wondering if you could share your approach to fragrance creation and how you bring a, a single note um, into a, a beautiful fragrance or, or home fragrance? Well, I mean, different fragrances are inspired by different things. But since we were mm -hmm. talking about tomato, um, maybe that's a good place to start. So um, Matthew and I are massive gardeners. We love gardening. We have an amazing garden at our um, house up in the Hudson Valley. And um, we weren't always great gardeners. It's something that we learned later in life. But um, No, you weren't born with a green thumb? Uh, I, I wasn't born with a garden. I mean, it was, so, but anyway, it's something that we really have taken to. And one of the interesting things is when you're in the garden and particularly with tomatoes, um, you're staking them and you're pruning them and the leaves have this very green, oily, beautiful scent. And there's this whole journey of scent that goes from the plant to the fruit itself. Um, and that we wanted to sort of tell that story through a fragrance, but not literally, um, but that was the inspiration. And fragrance is also the more um, playful aspect of product development. It's, mm -hmm. it's as conceptual, but much more playful and easier just to sort of create something that feels like it doesn't have to be as serious, you know? And so it is sort of the, the yin to the yang when you look at, our brand from a perfumery to an apothecary perspective or from a fragrance to a skincare perspective. There's this sort of balancing of um, these two ideas to, to create this regimen or to complement one another for you personally if, if you choose to go that route. Yeah. And so fragrance is really this playful side of things where you know if you're if you're gonna create a facial cleanser, it's it's pretty serious and there's there's a clinical side to that that is it's it's you know from a scientific perspective it's very important that we get that right and it's not to say that fragrance is any less complex in terms mm -hmm. of that process but it just comes off as being a lot more um emotional and and yeah and, i think for us it's, it's fun right. we, we've never tried to create fragrances that are so 
incredibly sophisticated, um, that Marie Antoinette would have been <laughs> wearing them. That's not who we are. We created fragrance that is sort of a reflection of our life yeah. um, and, you, and the things that we enjoy. You, so, you, you, you said single no in the complexity of that. That actually was conceptually how we started fragrance. It was to take a singular note and to find the complexity within that one thing. And so originally um, we'd had a, we had a scent called, we had two scents that I created that um, are not the, huge, the, the biggest sellers of our fragrance category. One was called Lotus Root and the other one was called Synthesized Musk. And the idea was that they were basically these, these singular notes that mm -hmm. I had found someplace and, and I just wanted to make them complex and, um, uh, luxurious. Yes, and, you know? and that wasn't the only thing singular about them. There were singular <laughs> sales too. Yeah. So, um, like one sold. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was a great art project, and we did enjoy it. But, but tomato, dark rum—they are these singular ideas. Mm -hmm. And how do you create complexity around them? So Andrew just mentioned tomato in particular, and sort of the complexity that sort of envelops that. And it really comes from this personal experience of gardening and the residue that's left on your hands, et cetera, et cetera. There's a personal story and a journey and even a memory, right, uh, involved in the creation of your fragrances, it sounds like. Correct. Yes. There's a, uh, there's a Madeleine, a Proust Madeleine in each one of our fragrances. <laughs> also, if you're spending time in a garden and, and you are a gardener and you do spend time with a tomato plant and you are left with the smell on your hands... It's very specific and very unique. And it's not so much like, oh, I've created tomato sauce for my Italian spaghetti or whatever it is. It's really this idea of something very green and um, and almost floral and kind of beautiful. And earthy. And, and, and earthy uh, and bitter and, you know, all, all the complexity that goes into all of that. Yes. I love it. I love it. That's one of my favorites, if you, <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your partnership. So... Both of you are partners in life and partners in business, correct? Yes, correct. Yes. So how does that work? How do your skill sets complement each other and help to create this growing, thriving business that you both have? Well, I, th I think we're, uh, you know what they say, opposites attract. <laughs> um, we definitely are opposite on every single level, <laughs> um, which uh, is very complementary. Um, so we both have very different skill sets. Um, there's overlap on, on on some things, and I think there's probably a lot of disagreements as well. But I think in some way those disagreements are always really helpful because it helps really um, hone the best idea. So the best idea usually wins because none neither one of us are total egomaniacs where we have to always be right. Um, so I, I think that's been part of the su success of the business is that. Each of our skill sets are so different and our ways of thinking are so different that we can both see um, a great idea germinating regardless of whom gives birth to it. And from the very yeah. beginning, you know, Andrew really is and, and comes from a very entrepreneurial family. So starting a business for him is really second nature. And in fact, probably one of the, the nicest stories that I have to tell is when we were in, and I come from exactly the opposite. You know, my dad worked for the same company his entire career. My right. mother was a stay-at-home mother. They were very conservative Midwesterners. Andrew's parents, you know, um, had their own businesses. They're New Yorkers. They're much more adventurous. And so when we were going to start this business, I remember um, saying to my parents on the, over the phone, um, so we've got this idea, we're going to start this business, and um, you know, Andrew and I are going to do it together, and we're going to bring together his world of design and my world of beauty, and, and my parents were like, that's great, so what if it doesn't work? Have you figured out how you're going to live? What are you going to do? How are you going to make money? And for two hours, they like grilled me, and yeah. you know, at the end of two hours, they were like, we'll support you, and if it doesn't work and you have to move back home, you can. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to make this work. And then- <laughs> got to make it work. <laughs> Can't go back. You can imagine how I felt. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe two weeks later, Andrew's parents were home from a trip that they had, like a three-month tour of South America that they had taken, where they flew their own plane across the continent and saw these exotic places. And we're Amazing. determined to speak to take us to a Spanish restaurant where they could show us that they learned Spanish and they could speak to the staff in Spain in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, and we're sitting right. there. We're like, so we've got this business idea, and they're like, 
yeah, that's great. Just do it. And then they just changed the subject. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, it was just like they didn't, you know, like nothing. <laughs> it just it just happened. It's like it seems like you also complete each other's sentences and you have like a great flow. And I think it's really a testament to your your partnership. And it comes through in the the products because family owned businesses <clears throat> don't always thrive the way yours do. Um, so it's really interesting. Part partnerships, regardless whether they're family right. or just uh, purely professional, they're really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the benefits of having your partner in life be your partner in business is that there's hopefully nobody in the world you trust more. That's true. Um, yeah. And that is like an amazing, amazing thing. Um, but work comes home with you and... It doesn't, your partner, if it's a professional partner, doesn't come home with it. So you have to figure out how mm. to live with both in the same room. And that takes time. But you do. But, you know, so. We did. We're almost 20 years into this. And yeah. here we are. So and, and 30 years into our personal relationship. So, right. wow. so you know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those situations where, and most people have these experiences where you move in together with your partner, right, for the very first time. And what do you do? You fight over the sock drawer, right? <laughs> And you're committed to one another. So you figure it out and you move on. Right. And, you know, 10 years later, we started a business together and we fought over the sock drawer a little bit. And, you know, and then we moved on, you know, and, and I think you just, as long as you're committed to the relationship, you keep finding the compromise. And a good therapist Absolutely. is always uh, <laughs> highly recommended. Therapy works, y'all. We are advocates for therapy. Yes, mental health therapy. Mental health is important. Protect yourself. And, and, a, and a martini every now and then doesn't hurt either. So there's lots of tricks to get you, you through the hurdles. You both have a great sense of humor, so, too. So I'm sure Humor is hurt. the most important thing. <laughs> that is for sure. And you both, I've heard this a few times. You were, you've mentioned the yin and yang. Could you tell, could either of you tell me a little bit more about um, how that's represented either in your partnership or, or your business. Uh, what does that symbol mean? It's an it's an underlying theme or concept for the entire brand. Mm -hmm. And so, if you just to start this off, if you if you look at our logo, it's Malin plus Gets, and in it's in brackets, parentheses, yeah. and it's a formula for balance. Wow. So Malin Gets cleanser, moisturizer, dry, and oily, and women. All these sort something of opposite natural, ideas. something scientific. Yeah. So that even in the as Matthew mentioned in the logo of the brand, this is whole embodiment of balance or yin and yang, um, which also uh, accompanies us in life as well. Yes, and even when we were talking about fragrance, when we initially this starts to get a lot very detailed, and we don't have to go into much detail Let's about it. Let's do it. Let's dive in. <laughs> but when we first started thinking about fragrance, it was. It, so if I, well, if I back up a little bit more, as we looked at skincare and we started thinking about sort of what that assortment would be and how to simplify it, it really was how do you create balance to the skin? So if you're going to wash the skin and cleanse it, um, you will probably remove some level of oil that you will want to replenish. So you're going mm -hmm. to need to moisturize it thereafter, creating perfect pH balance to the skin. Nothing more, nothing less. A good cleanser and a good moisturizer for your face, for your body, for your hair or your scalp. Um, that's the head-to-toe approach for balance. And as we started to think about fragrance, it was a similar idea, although it's morphed into something else, but still part of this idea that we would create two fragrances, one that Andrew liked and one that I liked, one that was maybe fresh and clean and warm and soft. And when you wore Mine, one- of course. <laughs> well, and they were, they were each single notes. And when you wore one, you got this experience, or when you wore the other, you got the opposite experience. But when you wore them together, whether you layered them yourself or you just were together as a team, yes, then it created a singular. Sense. Yeah, it was like this whole complement, whole yes. complementary concept, which is not so different than a cleanser and a moisturizer, or a shampoo and a conditioner. Mm -hmm. It's the whole idea of of balance. So the the that was the pitch to the perfumer specifically how we were going to create these sort of balanced ideas of sense. Ah, that is so cool. Yes. There's really balance in everything you do. And like, you're blowing my mind. Like <laughs> the logo is a formula. And I'm like, oh my God, I can <laughs> see all of it. 
Um, it's so straightforward. And aren't we all looking for a little bit of balance in, in our everyday lives? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about your inspirations. I know for your fragrances, um, you've mentioned tomato and where that comes from, but would you mind speaking more broadly about how you concept fragrances and what you're inspired by? Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it really varies. I mean, of gardening is a big theme for us. Um, strawberry certainly is something that was born out of the garden. Um, and, but there are other things that are really traditionally apothecary. So, and perfumery. And perfumery. I meant perfumery. Pardon me. Well, both. Well, both. Um, you know, leather, for example, is, you know, very, very old traditional scent. And what I think that we've always, one of the great tenets of the brand is that we've taken things that are classic and we always make it modern. Um, so we pare it down, strip it down and make it really special in a very minimalist modern way. And when I think about our leather um, eau de parfum, it's really the embodiment of that. And it also involves memory as well. So leather is traditionally used in old uh, perfumeries, you mm -hmm. know, on gl uh, tanneries, gl tanneries yeah. and things like that. But for me, leather was like, I remember going down to Greenwich Village and buying my first leather jacket and it yeah. was used in that supple feeling and it had an, a, a very distinct smell and I felt great in it. Um, that to me is the embodiment of that that fragrance. So it's very, very personal. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that you have you can have your own experience with leather. Um, but, but but to the point of balance, you know, we think about perfumery and apothecary, and sort of those are the starting points for where our fragrances are going to be. So there is a much more scientific idea behind perfumes and perfumery, and then these romanticized ideas. So maybe one of the more scientific concepts for perfumery is rose and or excuse me for apothecary is rose mm -hmm. so it can be used for medicinal purposes um and and as andrew was just saying it could have been used and probably was most likely the use um to hide the scent of the smell of the animal on leather so it was used with tanneries back then. So you'd put rose on top of like if you if you had just commissioned to have a pair of leather gloves made, they would have probably been scented with rose. And there would have been this little hint of something animal, yeah. something very raw um, with rose. Mm -hmm. And so initially there was this idea when we were trying to create a rose scent and a, and a leather scent that there would be one scent. And it would be those two things together. And we couldn't really make it work. And so as we deconstructed that, Otto, which is a candle of ours, which is based on Bulgarian rose, is that rose. And leather itself became sort of this idea of something sort of warm and soft and the rose something fresh and crisp. And if you burn the leather candle with the rose candle, how they become this idea of what perfumery and apothecary and all these conceptual ideas of how leather and rose were used hundreds of years ago. Yeah. But I think one oh, of the yeah. most interesting things that we had done is going back to the roots mm -hmm. of uh, a perfumery, it's completely gender neutral. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, gender perfumes is a 20th century invention. Um, so we were like, we're just gonna make things that smell great, and it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man, uh, if you like it, fantastic. But they, we erased all um, gender from our fragrances, and it was really that the fragrances were just gonna stand alone on how beautiful they are. And we also, we all, and, and to that, we also tried really hard to make sure that our leather didn't smell like the traditional, more masculine versions of mm -hmm. leather that are out there, that it really smelled gender neutral, like a leather would smell. Like if you have a leather jacket and you're a woman and you like the way that smells, or if you're a man and you have a leather jacket, and you, it doesn't matter, it just right. smells like leather. And similarly with rose, if you were applying rose to, um, uh, to your skin to calm it, or you know you were using it for a medicinal purpose. It wouldn't matter if you were a man that was doing that because you were carrying an ailment, or if you're a woman that was doing that. So how do you create this rose then that doesn't smell traditionally like that sweet, cloying, feminine idea mm -hmm. of rose, or your grandmother's rose, or whatever that is? That it is in fact something more neutral that anyone can embrace. Yeah, and I'm also hearing in your stories <clears throat> there's that the bringing the apothecary or the 
the old or the before the tradition Correct. into the modern age by bringing that gender neutral for everyone. Yeah, everything has to have a reference point. I yeah. mean, we're not just inventing things out of thin air, but we're looking at things that are, you know, essentially classic and looking at a way to rework them and make them modern and modern and contemporary. And I think that's the really fun part of the creative aspect of making a fragrance. Yeah, it's and wonderful. A, and I also something we didn't we didn't invent. I mean, honestly, you would have used rose for those things that I just mentioned two or three hundred years ago, and it wouldn't have mattered if you're a man or a woman. Like yeah. it just, and you you would have scented yourself with it as well, and it yeah, just, just because nice. people literally didn't bathe, you had to <laughs> continue yes. to. So now it has a different uh, raison d'etre. Thank, thankfully, thankfully, um, thank you for all of our noses. Yeah. <laughs> Experience simple, but better, with a quick tour of the Mellon & Getz fragrance line. We're about to explore vitiver, strawberry, cannabis, and dark rum. I know you have two collections. You have the unflorals and you have the vices. We, we, we've thought about this in terms of how we're going to create balance. So these ideas of something really fresh and clean with something really soft and warm and how if you wear them together, they create balance. We also have thought about this from a, a gender neutral perspective. Mm. And, and certainly if you think about floral and traditionally and conceptually how it's really presented as a female scent, mm -hmm. um, we wanted to make it not female. We wanted to take florals and make them seem and floral, but we or, were we were or, also celebrating um, not only the um, the blossom of the flower, but the stem and the leaves. So it became yeah. this unfloral celebration of of a flower Correct. or something that grows. And I think you know we were we weren't looking at it singularly, no. so, which was which is what I think makes it so dynamic. Yes, yeah, so if you go back to sort of the bergamot idea and a singular note. Bergamot is quite complex for a single note. It is something green, it's something citrus, and it's something floral. And there is this aspect of a bergamot tree flowering yeah. and the floral idea of what you get from that, but it's not the only piece of it. Right, you're celebrating all of the parts of Correct. the plant so. um, that is flowering. I love that concept. Yeah. Could you tell me about vices as well? Vices? Well, we don't have any, of course. <laughs> no. O only in our collection. We're teetotal yeah. over here. Um, <laughs> so the first vice was really dark rum, and it was a scent that we created that Andrew was like, this is a winner. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> 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 and, and it really, we decided to name it rum for a variety of reasons. I mean, one of them was we um, had just been to Mexico and was were drinking... Um, mojitos on the beach at a wedding and we decided we wanted to create sort of deconstruct this idea of a mojito and so rum was one half of it and lime and peppermint was the other which became our mojito candle um, and together they became this one scent that was the mojito itself um, but the vices sort of grew because dark rum took on a life of its own and people loved it and just really it resonated. It became a signature scent of ours. And so we decided we wanted to do another one um, yeah. because it was fun and playful. Like, well, like what we're talking about. So cannabis was the next one. Um, so you know, cool. Yeah. Iconic. Yes, An exactly. iconic launch. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's fun to be a little naughty. And, and, and also you know, very, saints. <laughs> very medicinal and scientific. I mean, cannabis has been used in apothecaries for hundreds of years. It's a medicinal um, ingredient that works. You yeah. know, some would say rum is medicinal as well if you're having a bad day. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting enough for, for cannabis for me, um, I had lived in Amsterdam for a long time and talk about memory, I always remember like riding my bicycle through central Amsterdam and they would have all the coffee shops, you know, quote unquote. And they always, there was an effluvium of cannabis coming out of there. And whenever I smell cannabis, it just takes me right back to that particular time and place. And I thought, oh, this would be really fun to capture in a candle. And of course, it's not a literal translation. It's not meant to be literal. Right. But the idea is how to evoke that memory. Um, 
and have a little uh, fun doing it. And that's um, where cannabis was very and special cannabis for me. I love it. Blooms and has a floral. Yeah, it's technically it. an unfloral as yeah, well. It correct. Be part it's of that. peppery, correct. and um, but it's very complex as a plant, and there are ways to sort of highlight that complexity that we no feel pun we've intended done. <laughs> <laughs> on the highlighting. I got it. Yeah, okay. got highlighting yeah. the puns never stop. <laughs> yeah, never. And you have it in a candle, right? It's it's lit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Awesome. So I'm excited. Dazed and perfumed, as we say. Dazed and perfumed. Yeah. I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> um, um, so I'm excited to dive into some more stories from fragrances. And I know we've talked about quite a few of the the heroes and the icons in your fragrance collection. Um, but I was hoping we can dive into each of them individually. Yeah. So the first one I would like to discuss is an unfloral, and it's your vetiver. Fragrance. Our Could favorites. you tell me about that? That's a favorite? Um, I think it's maybe one of both of our shared, because we don't yeah. agree on everything, as you may have learned. <laughs> but that one, I think we we do agree on. Yes, out of all of our scents, it's, I can say it's the one I probably wear the most. Wow. Um, and it is, it's very specific because if you're a perfume aficionado, you probably think of vetiver more as like a masculine scent. And we worked really hard to sort of not have it be that. Um, so it lives in the unfloral because it's, it's, vetiver is really a grass. It's green. Um, it's, it's not meant to smell as woody or as smoky. heavy or as smoky yeah. as what many vetivers and why it's leaned masculine. We have no idea. Um, but it really lives in sort of this world as not being something masculine to us or something that feels, it's certainly not a vice, but really lives as an unfloral and in, in, in both its concept and its um, its use, yeah, it's okay. it's fresh without being um, cloyingly fresh or um, or functional. Obviously yeah. fresh. There's a but there's a cleanliness to it um, and a greenness to it that is just I find just super sexy and attractive. Yeah. And it just also has like a real warmth and yeah, warmth is probably the best way to describe like it. like a fresh warmth. Is that possible? It it Everything's is with, it is with vetiver yeah. your fragrance <laughs> the yin and the yang coming together that's awesome okay I would love to talk about one of your newest creations strawberry strawberry has been such a great success for us um, so as Andrew mentioned we're gardeners and we have um, probably one of the the hardest things that we found to garden has been strawberries they are not so difficult to grow but you know, as the adage goes, everybody likes a strawberry. So every chipmunk <laughs> likes a strawberry, every deer likes a strawberry, every insect likes a strawberry. And they are just so much work to produce and to keep. Yeah, to protect. To protect, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, after a year of producing this wonderful crop of strawberries, we were thinking about like what our next fragrance idea was going to be. And I said, oh, you know, we should do a strawberry concept. And and I, there was some backlash, like, oh, you know, that, that's, uh, how, I think, how did you describe it? I th I th What's the nice way you, you can put uh, it? Um, <laughs> I, th I don't know if that's uh, broadcastable. But I think when you think of the word strawberry, there's so many things associated. You associate something very sweet, right. cloying, vanilla, very young, um, you know, almost uh, preteen like yeah, you mentioned you yeah. mentioned bath, bath and, and body, body works, works. Yeah. Exactly. Body and so what one of our ways of or the way our humor works is like what if we name something like that which sounds you know maybe awful but then when you use it you realize oh my god this is so sophisticated and mm -hmm. so great and when i think of a strawberry um having lived in holland the, the word for strawberry actually means earthberry because the oh. the 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 fruit sits on the ground. And so wouldn't it be fun to celebrate all the other aspects besides the sweet vanilla cloying aspect of strawberry, but to call it strawberry. And um, so it would be a surprise. And because um, I think a lot of people probably have an aversion like, oh, I'm not gonna wear something, particularly a guy. Right. Well, it's also this yin and yang idea of like, you expect it to be one thing, but you're delivered another. And mm -hmm. conceptually, how do you create how do you take what people expect from strawberry, which is this sweet, cloying, sort of youngish-like scent, and make it exactly the opposite of that, make it sophisticated, and really make it in a way for which we all actually eat a strawberry. Like mm -hmm. 
as a man, I have a strawberry. I can have strawberry every single day. Yeah. And, and similarly, so could you. And we wouldn't think about it in terms of gender. Nope. And so why should we do that with a fragrance? Exactly. I, I think the, one of the interesting parts is like, like you mentioned, you have this preconceived notion of a strawberry. So I wouldn't like come into a fragrance that I would wear on my body knowing Correct. what that's going to smell like. So the surprise element is really interesting. And it's fun to know that you guys kind of had that in mind as you were creating it. Like, Entirely. let's make it work. Like, let's make fetch happen. Let's make the strawberry actually something that's really complex, it, surprising, and wearable. It was like a wink and a nod. A you wink know, and a it, nod, was, yeah. it was meant to be intentionally uh, misleading and funny. Mm -hmm. But once you are in on the joke, you're so happy to be in on the joke. <laughs> and I don't know that I'm, I'm supposed to tell this part of the story, but so when we came up with the concept, we told the one woman who works in our office who does product development and is in charge of product development, who's terrific, by the way. Hello. Shout and, out to you. <laughs> and, uh, and I told her very specifically, I was like, you're not allowed to tell anyone about this because and we and she was like, why not? And I was like, because we just want to call it strawberry and everyone's going to be a naysayer to this. But no matter what, we're just going to do this. And she was like, I love that. And so we <laughs> kept it secret until the very end. And then, of course, when we said, hey, we've created the scent. Here it is. And we're calling it strawberry. And everyone was like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's one of our best selling products. Yes, we, um, we told, yeah. <laughs> You took a you took a risk and it paid off. Yeah. Yes. People like a little surprise and delight, and that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think they like a wink and a nod as well. Okay. So to wrap up our conversation, I would like to play a little game with you both. Are you game? Sure. Yeah. We love a good game. Yes. Okay. So basically you will write down your what you think the other person's favorite scent is or favorite smell is, and then you write down the person's least favorite smell, and then we'll reveal them to each other and see if you got it right. All right. Okay. Are you ready? So yeah. I have to, I'm going to write it down. Yep, write it down. On my... Andrew, what do you think Matthew's um, favorite and least favorite scents are? Okay. How about okay. five more seconds? All right, I, 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 I've been taking a stab. All right. Okay. okay. Matthew. Please reveal what you believe Andrew's favorite scent to be. Roast chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's roast chicken deja vu. Um, uh, sure, you know, I, I will go with that because um, we've already talked about my grandmother's roast chicken and um, life doesn't get better than that. All right, good. <laughs> what about his least favorite scent? So I'm, I'm a little stumped here, but however... Um, this may reveal itself in another way, but I'm going to say his least favorite scent happens to be rose. So interestingly <laughs> enough, that is not my least favorite scent. Oh. Um, if you recall a certain trip to Singapore, oh, yeah. the durian. 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 But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that because you don't bring that up regularly. I bring it up every time I have Thai food. When I, we, so I do talk <laughs> about it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it is a topic yeah. of uh, conversation. Yeah, honestly, Andrew's, you don't really have a lot of scents that you don't like. Um, durian, I really don't like. Yeah. Well, nobody likes that. So we're well, not no. sending you a... All <laughs> South Asia loves it. What are you talking about? So we shouldn't send you a fruit basket of durian um, unless we wanted you to hate us. Well, I'm always willing to try something <laughs> over again, but the first experience was not really particularly good. Um, Fair. I think so. a lot of people would agree that they don't... Unless they're used culturally, to it, culturally, yes. they wouldn't normally be like, you know what I love? The yeah. smell of ah, durian. <laughs> I love the smell of durian in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Not really. Um, anyway. So. Okay. So let's do this in reverse. Andrew, could you tell us what you think Matthew's least favorite scent is? So I'm going to go with wet dog because it combines both um, your fear of rain and an effluvium of dampness soaked up into a dirty dog well I, I think it's actually a really good guess and but because i just love dogs it's I'm not, not saying you least, hate the dog it's not my least favorite scent <laughs> but but you're right it's, it wouldn't be like up there at the top all right so what is what is your least favorite scent the first thing that came to Durian? mind for me is uh burning rubber mm. oh yes we like it's when like uh when the 
transmission fluid in the car yeah. when I shift Things, gears. Anything like that. Um, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but I think wet dog is actually something more appropriate. No, I like dog too much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is Matthew's favorite? So ironically, it is Rose. Yes. Yes. Because he already said it's my least favorite. Which is what? Yes. <laughs> So, and I actually did write that down. So I'm not just. Um, We've got it, receipts here. See, I did totally put it there. Facts. I can see it. You might not be able to see it, yeah. but I can see it. He and did it is totally rose. my most favorite scent. So. I love, I love a rose. I, I wear tea rose. Like yeah. it's just my out of the shower I scent. Wear any it's like rose. a $2 scent. Yeah. Yes. Like love it. So, okay. So I guess I, I win. It. I got the. It, you're, you're actually yeah. a tie. Yeah. You both got oh, one, one right. 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 What did you? You're oh, both yeah, winners. Chicken. That's right. Chicken. You got the roast chicken. Okay. But you gave that away earlier. Yeah. yeah. You're both winners. Okay. <laughs> it's been awesome speaking with you Thank about you. your fragrances. You guys are awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, um, you know, I know it's a, a best love uh, brand on Scentbird, and you. um, you know. Can't wait to see what you guys come up with next. Well, we'll always you. be. Well, a thanks. Fan. This is really fun. <laughs> I hope we get to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. me too. Thank you. That was Brittany Jackson Mosley, Matthew Mellon, and Andrew Getz from Mellon and Getz, based in New York City. Up next on Scent World, how to match your style with scent with Hollywood stylist, fashion designer, and entrepreneur Rachel Zoe. For more unfiltered conversations with perfumers, visionaries, and fragrance lovers, follow Scent World wherever you get your podcasts. Scent World is a Scentbird original series produced by Flowship. Today's episode was executive produced by Maria Nurislamova, produced by Mike Giordani, edited by Ramiro Gava, mixed by Alex Roses, production support by Peely Melendez. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. 